Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Nordic region to discuss gaming industry passions, challenges and ideas. I'm Heather and I help businesses connect with top tech freelance talent. And today I'm your host. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here and Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Riyad, Emily, Max, and Marcel to discuss the benefits of a strong QA team. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Um, I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and what your biggest passion is currently, um, and how you got into the gaming industry. Um, Riyad, do you want to kick us off? Absolutely. Hello, everyone. My name is Ria Dennis, and I currently work as the QA manager for Paddock's development studio, Black, which main product currently is Crusader Kings 3. How I, uh, my current passion, I would say, is uh, Paradox games. I really love Crusader Kings 3, and is one of the main reasons why I uh, got into this industry. Um, how I got here was actually almost a Mere chance, I would say. I worked in a completely different industry within the railway industry beforehand as a personnel planner and uh, saw an ad, took my chance, and now here I am. Brilliant. Thank you, Riyad. Um, Emily, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here. I'm Emily, and I work as a game producer at Past Travel Games. I just started this week, loving it so far. Um, I started my career in QA around six years ago which is why i want to join this podcast and talk about trials and errors um my current passions right now um professionally is um workflows and understanding what motivates people um and i just love games as a whole uh currently playing my all-time favorite frost punk can never get tired of that so yeah brilliant um, Max, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Uh, excited to be here. Uh, my name is Max. I am a release manager and QA manager uh, at Aurora Punks, an indie game collective, but I'm currently outsourcing to Arrowhead, which is exciting to very different workplaces uh, in terms of scope. Uh, my passion is probably uh, JRPGs. Uh, grew up with it. My mother played Final Fantasy VII got me hooked, learned very weird English as a kid as a result, uh, and always knew I wanted to to work in games, uh, tried a lot of different things, didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, uh, but then I saw a QA education pop up, and I thought, why not, let's see what, what this may bring, and uh, here I am now, as release manager primarily, but QA manager in dream. Fantastic, and lastly, Marcel? Yes, hello. So my name is Marcel. I'm the QA lead for an undisclosed project at Paradox Development Studios, a different one than Riyadh works at. So that's why our answers will be uh, very different because every studio does things a bit different. 
but that keeps it interesting, I'd say. And uh, what I focus on mainly currently is uh, risk management. And what I did before working at Paradox is I worked for several years in the mobile games industry, actually, at Colby Games, a Ubisoft uh, company. And there was also the focus on QA processes, optimization, and how the QA uh, industry, not the industry, but the team can be leveraged more to work proactively instead of being a very reactive department. So I guess that's also where my professional passion lies in to see how QA can be used more effectively. And aside from that, personally, I just love cooking. <laughs> Lovely. So now that we've um, established a bit more about each one of you, um, let's move on to the topic and focus. So you all have a question or subtopic on the benefits of a strong QA team. Um, I'll work around the room to ask each one of you to pose your questions and the reason behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to take your turn on the situation. Um, so let's start with Marcel. Um, can you explain a bit about your question and the context behind it? Yes, of course. So my question that I chose is what do you see as the main purpose or responsibility of a QA department, specifically in the gaming industry? Uh, the reason why I chose it is uh, not only from going from mobile games now to PC slash console game company, you can see that there's a vast difference in how the QA uh, teams are structured, how they work. But in general, I'd say that's the case for the gaming industry as a whole. And if you even look further into the software industry, it's vastly different again. That's why I want to focus now on the gaming industry. So we have enough differences there, I would say. Uh, and you see some companies where QA is really being used, as I would say, towards the end of the development cycle. As uh, quality verification more or less, where you assess whatever has happened. But what I think is very interesting, and that's a bit already touching on what I see as my responsibility or purpose, uh, is QA being used very early, very proactively. But I'm definitely more interested to hear what uh, all of you have to say before I dive deep into uh, my points. Yep. So, um, Riyadh, you want to take the floor? Absolutely. I do think this is a really interesting topic. Um, I think what you, t you said during your intro kind of nails it a bit, uh, where you talked about what you do. Uh, and uh, I see that QA primarily uh, is a department that works with risk assessment or risk managing. Um, we, during a project, um, either size, right, big or small, we work with different sorts of risks. Risks in our case can be stuff like bugs. It can be things like just if we look at features, for example, not being fun enough uh, for when we release them. And I see QA as someone who is always, throughout all of development, uh, working on assessing risks. So with this risk, uh, or our main mission, I would say, is to make sure that the risks is known on a project, uh, both from early development all the way to the end, uh, when we are going to release the product, but also making sure that we raise this risk as well so that we can mitigate them. Mitigating risks uh, early is super important so we don't uh, end up with a, a massive uh, log of issues at the end. And uh, yeah, I would definitely say that that's the, the main part if you want to make QA sound very fancy, which it is. It's uh, uh, basically what we're mainly working in, in, uh, in risk. Then of course, uh, I always like to say when people ask me this question, just uh, I guess it's a bit of a boring answer, but uh, it's also the truth that we are the player's eyes, ear, and voice in this case. A lot of us who work in this industry, a lot of us who work uh, in our different teams, 
love the games that we're working on, or most often love the games that we're working on. Uh, for example, for me with Crusader Kings 3, I'm a huge fan of the game, and a lot of people in my team are as well. Um, we want to see this project succeed. We want it to be fun, not only for the players, but also for ourselves. Uh, and I think that helps massively. Yep. Emily, if you'd like to have an opinion on that. I think uh, a lot of what's already been said uh, is really true. But I also think that um, the purpose of the quality team should be to define what quality means to uh, the company as a whole, uh, because not all not all the departments think about the risks, and I think it should be QA's job to spread the word of how we could work better together. And as um, Riyadh already pointed out, I think that QA acts as the main filter between developers and the end users, so the players and they should continue doing so. Brilliant. And then Max, if you'd like to, if you have any views. Absolutely. Uh, everybody taking the words out of my mouth. Definitely. I super agree with all of you. Like we are sort of the uh, guardians of quality or like it, it is uh, partially our job to define what the quality of the, the game will be in the end. Uh, and I think some places utilize it better, some places doesn't. Uh, and it's uh, I think it's very important that the longer QA, QA has been in the process, they know the product better, and then they can also be more sure of what is great quality in, in the long run. No, I think uh, all of you brought up really good points, uh, especially also defining the QA standards, because I think uh, that's definitely part of the risk management, knowing that we cannot manage all that risk by ourselves. A lot of times it's really important to really instill this mindset of that everyone owns a bit of their own quality as well. May that be a yeah. coder that, for example, checks some sanity checks before they push to develop uh, from their feature branch to see if things actually work, like clicking on a button. That saves a lot of time, that uh, changes the minds of the entire team. And I think where we as QA definitely have like the prime position is being the connector between all the different departments. Like we are the ones closest to the game and we are the ones interacting with all the different disciplines at all times. So we can really be a force multiplier to really achieve uh, a higher quality standard, but at the same time also assisting everyone to achieve what they are trying to achieve. Definitely. I think QA in a sense also has this wider holistic perspective and it's super important to get other eyes on a feature or some, or some new content because uh, Throughout this year, you get blind to your own work after a while, so it's really important to to switch out set of eyes uh, as often as you can yeah. to ensure that it's going the right way. Yeah. On the topic of uh, defining quality there, uh, because I definitely 100% uh, agree with it, is that uh, in the reality of a project, I would say, right, um, is that I think everyone in the development team absolutely wants the, the game to have the highest quality, right? I don't think anyone's sitting there and being like, oh, let's release a buggy game, you know? <laughs> um, however, I do think that QA plays an especially important role here as well, uh, because when it comes down to it, we do have, when we're making our project, right? A limited amount of time to make the project, a limited budget as well. And there's going to be a lot of opinions from different people who are like trying to change the definition of what quality is. 
we might have one that we're starting with, right? We want to release uh, a game that is bug-free, crash-free, all of that stuff. But then the closer that we get to the end of the project, we run out of time, we run out of resources, and we have to start being stricter uh, with our definitions. Um, and I'm a bit interested in how maybe the experiences that you guys have uh, when it comes to um, clashes that can come, you know, between the QA department and the rest of the development team as well. Um, and what you can do best maybe to um, ensure that in the end, the most important thing, like the, the ultimate goal is to have a great product for our players, right? Uh, that we can meet that. If anyone has any thoughts on that. Yeah, I'd love to jump on that question uh, because I think sadly, like the reality is, uh, as we all know, you will never have a complete bug-free game. Like that is a utopia that we all would like to live in. But in the end, I'm sure as you also meant, which I just want to reiterate, it's about a game that seems as a bug-free experience for the player. And to achieve that, I think uh, something that I am a big proponent for is shifting QA to the left, that's how I call it, where we are in early design meetings, where we assess risks from early on. We actually test on branches directly instead of testing once things come to develop. Because as soon as we are there early on, we can not only assess risks early on, but we can point out problems before they spiral out of control. Bugs that then cause uh, additional bugs or designs that are not implemented how they were the documentation. Those are all different points where QA as the connector between the different disciplines can raise uh, the hand, so to speak, or then raise the voice and point out those issues before a lot of resources are wasted uh, for the wrong reasons. So uh, that will definitely not completely uh, take away what you spoke about. In the end, there will be hard decisions to make, but I think it minimizes them to a point where it's more manageable. Okay, fantastic. Um, so let's move on to Riyadh, your um, topic, um, and can you explain the context behind it? No, absolutely. It's a topic that's very near and dear to my heart right now. Uh, either people love it or they hate it whenever they hear the word, but it's documentation. <laughs> so for me personally, uh, and uh, working in my team, documentation is a very important uh, topic. For me, I see documentation as something uh, that is essential. QA is a, a department in a games team that is a bit uh, unique in a way. It's that most of the work that we do is reliant on other people's work, right? It's about, for example, whether it's early in production where we're assessing game design uh, documents that we have, providing feedback on different designs and features, uh, all the way uh, to the end where we are actually maybe doing uh, different types of tests like exploratory tests and et cetera, um, or destructive tests. We're reliant on the information that is given to us uh, to be able to know what is the truth and what is not. So I'm a bit interested to hear uh, kind of your experiences or thoughts on this topic. I know that uh, a lot of different companies do things differently. Some focus more on uh, having proper documentation, some lesser and working more uh, or handling it more like ad hoc uh, with the teams. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I can uh, jump onto that topic. Uh, in my experience, um, it always, I'd say it always makes sense to have some kind of proof of what you're working on. Um, to show, for example, to stakeholders, but it's it's really tricky because you always end up either documenting too much or too little. Um, so I guess my question would be, do you have some kind of trick to know how much 
when it's too much or too little? Definitely an interesting question because uh, this is actually part of a project we've been working on internally. Uh, for us, how we solved it was actually to have uh, templates. Instead of having each different developer defining themselves what they think is enough documentation or not, we started digging into, okay, what is it QA wants from this documentation, right? We started digging into that. And that, from there, we answered a couple of questions, right? Uh, for us, for example, in our team, the most important thing is to have a point of reference. We want to know what is, for example, the the expected effect of a certain thing, right? Or the expected outcome of a certain thing. Um, so we started from there, right? Writing down what we expect from different documentation and then created templates uh, that the team now uses whenever they are filling out documentation for different features and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I would say that would be a good point to start. Uh, basically first ask the QA department, right? What do we want out of this documentation? Uh, and then from there, working with it uh, forward. Yep. Marcel, do you want to take the floor with that one? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I think the point of like what is enough is a really good one to be made. Because either you have the situation where you constantly go back to documentation and keep updating it, so it's up to the current uh, process, up to the current status. But the problem there is you waste so much time basically on documentation that could be put onto the game, for example. So I would actually like to split the question a bit into QA department and other departments. Because in the QA department, what I feel like is the most important to focus on is that you have your workflows kind of documented. So especially when you onboard new members to the team, may that be from uh, different studios in the same company or from a completely different company, since QA works so differently, vastly differently, depending on which team you're on, which project, I think those are like the main elements that you should have documented, the workflows, and uh, how the QA team uh, works in general. Now, when we look at the other part, the development team, artists, coders, and so on, designers, uh, they're seen a bit differently because uh, they have working documentation uh, with some details that change drastically, especially when you look at game design, uh, balancing changes and whatnot. And there, I think it's really important for QA, again, for us to leverage our position as being like the glue between all the different departments and make sure that there is some documentation, but be close to the team members and see, okay, what's the current status to keep communicating. And then with that information, we can actually update the documentation ourselves. And why I think that is really important is that then frees up those other disciplines to actually keep working on their stuff and use even less time on uh, spending documentation. Yeah, Max, any, any take on that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think it's very important to be reactive in how you document things. I am always an advocate of keeping things as simple as humanly possible. Keep everything in the same place because we all know the partner portals can be a bit of a mess to navigate at times because everything's spread out. You don't know what you're looking for. So I think it's, it's really important to sort of early on assess, okay, what is pertinent information for me and my team? How do we put it there? be it compliance or, you know, some store page information, as simple as that. So know and really focus down on what, what are the needs of, of the team uh, and don't clutter uh, wherever you have your um, documentation, be it on an Asana or Confluence or whatever. So easily accessible and don't give your team a wall of text. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a big one there. <laughs> it's always nice getting this big chunk. Hi. 
Where's the TLDR, right? Yeah. Uh, really funny thing uh, regarding that, because we have uh, just a small funny story regarding documentation. Uh, because I work mostly in historical games, right? A lot of our designers love to give historical context for everything that they're creating. And we have one one particular designer who's very excited about uh, giving, you know, content and teaching a bit of history. So every time you read their design document, it's like you're getting a history lesson as well, which is pretty nice. But also sometimes you just, you know, you, you scroll a bit extra down, you know, just to get to the beat of it. They, the important parts. Fantastic. So we'll move on to Emily's question. Um, yeah. If you can provide some context behind your question and why you picked it. So I wanted to discuss the uh, QA generalist specialist ratio within a team. And the reason for that is it's a question that's popped up in some staffing scenarios and where people have posed the question, oh, I wish we had this person doing this or this. And if you had to choose, which one would you which one would you select? One with just generalists or one with just specialists? I would just like to know first, like when you mean generalist versus specialist, do you mean generalist and then you have specialists that have specialization on top of being a generalist? Or because like how do you define those two? I think it's like the most important for me to understand completely. I would like to answer it. So specialist, for example, someone working mainly with um, the console version of a game or a localization tester, um, for example. That's my that's my uh, idea of it. But of okay. course, yeah, you could you could broaden it by asking, but asking how do you what what is a specialist as well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that gets very philosophic, uh, philosophical in the end, I guess. But uh, I definitely get uh, how you mean it. Uh, I think it really depends in a way. If uh, you look at, uh, for example, external vendors, uh, QA vendors, there you have a lot of generalists that uh, are really uh, useful for the team to uh, test your test plans and to give some feedback on the game, especially when they keep playing the same game uh, of your company. That can be extremely valuable because they know every single detail. They keep uh, testing different things when you get the test plans and they can provide a lot of feedback. Now, whereas for the internal QA team, uh, what I found in my experience is that having specialists uh, can be really useful, especially when you have a split up a bit in someone that is specialized in telemetry, someone that does a bit of scripting, for example, for either looking into the scripts uh, of that the content game designers did or for scripting some of the uh, uh, test plans, for example. And uh, in the end, what I think though stands above all of that is actually soft skills. I think when it comes to QA, the most valuable soft skill there is, is uh, reflectiveness. Someone that can be very reflective, not only about the processes, but also about how they work themselves. And that can then help a lot of defining how the QA team works and uh, if what is being done is an actual good time investment. So. I guess my answer is a bit of a cop-out where you can combine the both of having your specialists internally and then using external vendors as the journalists. Max, would you like to elaborate on that? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, for me, uh, it's working with indie versus bigger AAA, just like you've seen a bit, bit, bit of both worlds. Uh, 
So I think for, for Indies, I think it's great from the beginning to have like a generalist perspective. Uh, and since uh, it was a fairly fresh company, we sort of built the QA team from the gr ground up together. Uh, and then since we obviously started as a generalist and then we sort of grew into, we branched out during the process of our different projects. So someone went more into a VR direction, someone went more into police management, someone is more of a first person a PC type specialist. So it's, I think uh, it happens very naturally in many cases that you branch out during the process of the project. Uh, so a, a generalist start because that's most of what I've had. Uh, so I will stick to that. And then Riyadh, if you want to take the floor. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is actually a really exciting question for me uh, because it's something that I discussed very recently um, within my team as well. Um, Okay, I can say this. So my dream would be to have people who are, uh, that we can have specialists, right? We could have people who are focused on, for example, uh, art testing, people who are focused on AI testing uh, and different other parts of the game, right? Um, I think, unfortunately, the reality of, um, I would say, development overall of the game industry is that we need people who are um also generalists right or we need every qa at least uh for the type of development that i'm doing uh, we need generalists um people who can know uh most at least or know the product they know the game um and don't have any issues testing uh, really any part of it um and this is mostly due to also as a sort of like for safety or for risk mitigation within qa uh, due to the bust factor right the more people, the more we split up our team where they're only focusing on specific parts of the game or specific uh, areas, I would say, like only AI or only art testing. Uh, that also means that in case there's any time where um, they're missing, uh, then we suddenly have a hole uh, in our testing, right? Uh, but also, in reality, we do have a lot of uh, team members in our QA team who are extra good at something, right? I have a couple of members in my team who are really good at AI testing because they know the game like inside and out. You can, they're like a Wikipedia for knowledge about the game, right? And that makes it super useful when it comes to uh, AI testing as well because they know what it should be the expected outcome. Um, and they, they can very easily see when there's deviations in that. Another part as well, when it comes to art testing, I have um, uh, testers who are really good with that as well. And that I often call upon when there is like periods where we need someone to really make sure that these new character models coming in or character uh, art coming in is in a really good shape, you know, ahead of a release. Um, and those are the people I can really rely on for that. So yeah, on paper, um, everyone are a, a generalist, I would say, right? Uh, or have to be in a way. But that doesn't mean that you can't have people who... Um, like unofficially whatever as specialized in certain parts that they of course like um which leads me to another part right uh, should it always only be should they only be testing whatever i tell them to test right hey you're today on our testing you're on this or should i maybe look into my team hey what parts of the game do you actually enjoy right and then utilize that because if they actually love working on this part of the game right that for me, nationalist strike is okay, then they'll enjoy doing their work here, uh, or at least that part of the game. And if I put them at something that they maybe hate, then we get the opposite effect. Um, 
so yeah, it's it's a really interesting question. I would, it would be the dream for me, as I said, if we could have a really large QA team that we can specialize everyone, and, you know, backups for everyone. But uh, for now, it's a dream for me. <laughs> I think it's also like it's very important what you're saying, but also like uh, talking earlier about uh, you becoming blind to something if you work on it too long. I think that's true for QA as well. So I think maybe not a risk, but potential risk is that if you specialize too much, you you become blind to the issues that are actually there because you are too used to it. So I think it's good to sort of like jump around as much as you can, even though you have this this area that you are pretty proficient in, just to get fresh perspectives and renew your your uh, overview of things. Yeah, I think that's like uh, what you touched on, both of you, is like uh, something that then in the end. It's like the middle way, in my opinion, where not only naturally people will have fields that they are more interested in and then look into and develop, but also you need the generalization for everyone. So I think it's good to have, if we call it now specialization, unofficial or officially, it doesn't matter in that case. If we have people that then look more into an area, let's take AI again, I think what's really valuable there is that keeps people really motivated because I think it's really important that you have also something that you can own like uh, an area that you can really be passionate about that you can gather more knowledge but then also spread that knowledge to the team like in knowledge sharing meetings uh, have other people test those areas as well because then you have this combination of someone can be passionate about their specialization they bring more value to the team by acquiring knowledge in a certain area but at the same time you spread that knowledge in the team everyone gets to enjoy the benefits of that gate knowledge uh, and in the end, you don't have then those silos where the knowledge is only at one person. Because I agree, like Riyadh said, that would be an absolute terrible scenario. Like there's so many things where someone could uh, fall sick for a long time, leave the company for whatever reason. And then if you don't have that knowledge anymore and you relied on that knowledge so strongly, that is a huge risk. Yep. And then coming back to you, Emily, what was what was your opinion on this subject? I'd say um, there's a risk with having a team dependent on one person knowing a specific area while the rest of the team do not. Because if that member falls ill and you're in a very critical stage, then what do you do? But I do see everyone's opinion and I don't really believe there's a right or wrong, but it, it can definitely be discussed further. Depends on the project as well, I believe. I guess that's sadly the answer is it always depends on the project team. It always deadlines, yeah. every, always depends. <laughs> <laughs> dependencies, dependencies. And so, like the answer I got on one of my papers in the university, one of the first, it depends. Like the quote I will always remember forever. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> one funny thing for me about this topic is uh, when we were talking about like the risks of, you know, someone falling ill, for example, or missing from the team. We had this knowledge. It kind of loops back to me one of the reasons why I am really passionate about documentation, right? I find that part of it or the important reason. Uh, an important reason why you need proper documentation, right? Not only in the, for the game itself, but also within the QA department is to make this kind of onboarding much easier, right? Knowledge retention is like a very important topic um, or gets even more important. I say the larger product grows, right? And making this documentation or doing this documentation early or having these specialized members doing the documentation early uh, saves us so much time later down the line when we have to onboard new team members. So for example, for us, it's uh, with our testing, uh, you know, getting all of that down on uh, Confluence um, or any other similar Wikipedia, right? 
um, so that if we have new QA joining in, they have all of that knowledge available, even like video tutorials, if that's the case, right? That they can just learn how to do this type of testing and then jump right into it, uh, which is how we can kind of mitigate uh, the risk of, you know, having specialized people leaving. We keep the knowledge here in our team. Hoarding mm. knowledge. Yes. A reason for that. <laughs> like hoarding it for yourself. Share. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's even the... There's even the cases that I saw a few times for myself as well when I was onboarding a new project uh, and the new tool was being used and the tool itself might not have been difficult to use, but the UI, for example, was just so terrible that you would not find which button to press and you were completely stuck. So without the documentation, like we had said, where it's just like the simple steps, something that's not even complicated, but that can hold your progress or even your entire work, that's where it comes in clutch. That you have that, uh, then to refer back to and make sure that when well, you find that button that you have to click in the end. Definitely didn't happen to me. <laughs> that was really good to hear some of the insights on um, on that topic. Um, and then finally, if we come to Max for your question um, and just explain a bit of the context behind it. Yeah, uh, my subtopic would be uh, in regards to how early you should integrate QA in a project and uh, how how is the best way to, to go about it. How, how do you guys do it? Uh, and uh, I would love to hear your insights on it because it's very important to me to, to integrate QA as early as possible. Yeah, Emily, do you want to take the floor with this one? So I'd say it's most commonly done in during alpha, but um, as early as possible. And I think we already touched on that at the beginning of this call, right? Uh, yeah. Yep. Marcel, do you want to add your uh, opinion? Yeah, I think this is like a really good uh, roundup question in the end to circle back to the very beginning, at least uh, from my point of view, because I definitely think as early as possible, uh, maybe not for the prototype stage, there's something, you know, we need a prototype first to even get the uh, project greenlit. But after you have a prototype, I think even then having a QA on the team can be really good. Because again, I don't see uh, QA as the discipline, it's just verification where you're there at the end. But uh, as a force multiplier and as a discipline that can be the glue between the different departments. So having a QA early on, an expert on the actual game. And while there not be a lot of actual game in the beginning, where it's more about the team velocity, then the focus of QA should not be where's the bugs, uh, where's the issues, you know, like uh, pointing the fingers, because that's not what the discipline should do anyways. But even more so, it's important to get things done in the beginning. But there's also the strength of QA again, to see then, okay, what do we have in the documentation? What is actually in the game? Uh, branch testing, again, can be a really good force multiplier. Uh, I've had it many times already in my own uh, projects that you just jump onto a branch, talk to the developer, and they might feel not as comfortable pushing something to develop, for example, because as uh, you might know yourself, anything that you create, you always feel like, ah, it's not ready yet to show to the world. And that, that same feeling can come when you have to push to develop where it becomes more official so to speak. So I think uh, there as well, QA can be a big help, not only finding uh, small bugs that can be fixed immediately on the branch, saves so much development time, and also the developers love it because they don't have to go back to it and, oh, what did I code a few weeks ago? Uh, so that saves costs again, but also that uh, helps them just getting things done quicker. There's like this quick check, things look good, okay, let's push it. So yeah, I'm definitely a big proponent for QA being at least one member of the QA team, being there early, setting up some processes also for later stages, so you have a workflow already, and customize that workflow to the project. Because QA should not be 
a bottleneck and should not define like how the project should work, but rather uh, make the processes work of the project. Yeah, uh, I totally agree with you. There is also uh, what stuck was like the if uh, someone is hesitant to push something because they're not content with it, that's something I, I think QA really has to be on the lookout for because it, even if it feels bad pushing it, I mean, it's it's better that we see it now than down the road where where the issue has grown immensely and then you don't know what to do with it because it's so far gone. Uh, but yeah, definitely good insight. Yeah, I just want to add that I fully agree with Marcel here, which was a really good take on this whole thing. Um, I, for me, I feel like... Um, for this whole topic of getting QA as early as possible is for to, like it's good for two reasons for uh, for me right first of all just for practical reasons um, when it comes to testing we want to ensure that early on we know what uh, what is let's say it's a DLC right that we're working on a new project uh, we want to ensure that the new features that are getting introduced to this DLC that we in QA have the tools necessary to be able to test this right uh, because it might be something completely different from what we've done before. Uh, so more for just practical reasons, we have everything, of course, so we can set up uh, or plan our testing already early. We have the design documents and all of that stuff. We can set it up for the rest of development. But also the second part here, which is also that the further along we get in a project, the more coherent the product becomes, right? Because we're finishing up stuff, we're adding the art, we're adding the music, everything's starting to look good. We have nailed down the design. But with that, unfortunately, also comes the, the danger where we reduce... Uh, our opportunity to actually make changes to a project. Everyone's familiar with this, the further along, two months, one month before release, right? You can't <laughs> do major changes to the design. And I think this- Well, you can, but- <laughs> I can, but it's gonna be real major. I think a producer off my head off if I did that, <laughs> to propose that. Uh, so yeah, having QA integrated early and being able to uh, spot these risks early as well, right? Um, gives us a chance to maybe make the changes that are necessary to ensure a good end product. Of course, starting early also comes with other caveats. I mentioned uh, cohesion, right? At the beginning of a problem, uh, uh, a project or a problem, yeah, uh, we don't have a lot of cohesion, right? That means that our opportunity to actually spot risk is really low, uh, but it grows larger the more cohesive the project grows. So it's kind of like a balance, right? We have the um, at one end, right, early on in the project, low risk uh, or low opportunity to actually spot risk, but we have a, a high opportunity to actually make changes to the project. And in the other end of the spectrum, we have a high opportunity to actually spot risk, but a very low opportunity to actually make changes. So okay. I think that's the good way to Definitely balance, a, a balance thing also like, yeah, you have to be careful, but I think the better overview of the project that QA has, they will, they know what the developers or the game designers want the game to be. So if they understand that, if they understand that, they can easily find risks if they know what they want it to be. And if there's some new feature coming coming in at left field, you'll be like, okay, this one though, you said you wanted to do this, but now we're doing this. Won't this create a conflict here? Uh, so sort of like gatekeeping the changes that uh, programmers and artists love to chuck in there because they want their work to be there. <laughs> and you have to be like, the way risk versus reward. We got we got to cherry pick this. You can't you can't challenge the stability of the build now. Uh, Guardians of stability is also something I'm 
very, very hard on when I'm working with, with my projects. Well, I'm very happy that uh, you touched on that, Riyad, because I think, especially when it comes to game systems or balancing that comes later on, but the game systems, we want to be iterative, right? Like, we always uh, powered, like, oh, yeah, in, in games, we work agile. Games, no waterfall, we don't use that. But the reality of it, the iteration cycles, especially when we talk about DLCs, uh, expansions for like already existing games, there's a set deadline, and you want to have a lot of content in, so, like, the iteration process is quite limited, which is, again, why I think then the QA can, uh, again, push for, okay, no, let's just put it on the branch, let's uh, check on the branch, looks good enough, onto develop, so that the rest of the team can check it. Because what I keep forgetting, and the, uh, what Max said before, the tunnel vision comes in, I sometimes I keep thinking, oh, no, no, the team, you know, they uh, check the game frequently as well. They, they know what's currently the status. And while that is true to a degree, that only happens on their own branch that they're working on as well as uh, the develop status. So that's why it's so crucial to get things into develop so the entire team can actually see what is happening. Because the more the team's in tune with what the game currently is and they see the changes, it not only motivates, but it can also point out like, oh no, like I didn't intend that at all. Like we are going the wrong direction. Like hit the brakes, let's let's recheck. We have a, we have a meeting about this. Yeah, you know, visibility is definitely definitely a, a huge a huge factor in this uh for the whole studio or like company like if, if we have visibility and people are on board we know what we're doing you know we're supposed to there's no using in hiding something baking it too long and it's like ta-da it's burnt now and we can't do anything about it let's let's throw it in trash um uh, transparency and visibility yeah. especially also because like while we can point out uh, issues that we might perceive in the end, we are not the experts of any of the disciplines. We are not the game designer, we are not the programmer, we're not the artist. We have acquired enough knowledge in those fields, especially with being so close to the game that we can feel out if something is an issue, but the best solutions will still come from the teams themselves. I still believe that we can give a lot of good uh, opinions and pointers, but the actual solution, not just an idea, but what's been put into action then, what will be designed, will need to be done by the departments themselves, and that's uh, why the visibility, as you said, is like so crucial. Yeah, that's why QA is so important because QA always have a, a unique insight into the game that the other departments really do not. I mean, uh, there's a reason that uh, for people not in the gaming industry especially keep thinking, ah, QA, you play games all day, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the understanding of what a QA does is still pretty abysmal. <laughs> I mean, not, I don't know. I've, I've noticed fun. that people have a, have a newfound respect for you. No, I definitely hope that uh, that's just why I think it's so cool to have a podcast like this, where we can talk about like how the status is and all the different teams that we work with in different companies. Because I think that's like uh, what is a bit sad about QA as a discipline, that the knowledge of how QA actually works and what we do aside from just like verification or test planning, it's like so vast and it keeps growing. I think that's the exciting part. Like how we keep improving on the processes, how we think about so many different areas where we can be a force multiplier, we can help the team and not be a gatekeeper at the end screaming like, no, don't put this in the game, uh, this doesn't work. It was like, sadly, that is like how some companies still see it. And I think that is like very, very counterproductive then because you also get a quite toxic work environment where the team doesn't trust QA and QA is like more antagonistic instead of symbiosis uh, work relationship. That's where I think like, like you touched upon before, like soft skills is very important for a QA. Yes. You will be moving 
uh, through all these different departments and coming back to being the glue between these different parts of the project is super important and it's important to be able to give constructive criticism not just saying that something is bad uh that's uh, that's not the way to go so i think definitely soft skills is a, a hi hidden talent that uh, qa needs to have that not many people think about i, I perceive oh, for sure especially when it comes to communication overall yeah. i think that's a lovely way to round off this podcast today um so i'd like to say thank you so much to all our guests for sharing their thoughts um riad emily max and marcel um, if you wish to participate in a future podcast or like to discuss how we can help you find the perfect next edition for your team, please contact me on LinkedIn. Um, thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.